Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Retired.Army, where we talk to retiring and transitioning military members about their journey and dig into some topics like Space A, things about the retirement process itself, and any insights that they've gleaned from that process. Today, I'm sitting with uh, Sheena Parker. She is a entrepreneur, solopreneur, and ex-military member was joined in 2002, retired in February 2022 from the reserves. Uh, she's a retired CW3. She served on active duty as well as reserve time and also served as a Miltech and a DOD civilian. Um, she is currently the CEO of Foresight Industries. She's been doing that for the past six years. And she runs a program called Sheenapreneur.com or GovNow.com where people can learn about setting up a business, learn about contracting, and she also does special things for veterans and has special resources for them. So with that, uh, welcome to the show, Sheena. Glad to have you aboard. Hey, I want to still call you Chief McConnell, so <laughs> thank you for having me. It's great to have you here. It's great to reconnect. It's been a long time since we've talked and seen each other. I wish we could do it in person, but we're getting there. We're going to get there. <laughs> So let me start off by asking you, um, your first 30 to 60 minutes of your day in the military as compared to not in the military or being out of the military, what's that look like? So um, my last several years in the military, I was, um, you know, reserved. So we didn't do PT. So it was just getting to work by 7.30. And when my children were smaller, of course, that was, you know, you get up, get the kids ready, get them to school get to work, get your day started. And um, toward the end there, when I was about to retire, I had like a ritual where I would meditate uh, on the way to work. I didn't close my eyes, but it was more like a, a, a focus before I get into work. And then when I got into work, I had nice music playing. My lights were dim. I would write down my goals um, because I was just starting my business. So I would write down everything I wanted for that day, that week, that year. And then I would get the day started. So it's kind of funny because when you have that very structured um, process, you are able, it seems like I can get more done. <laughs> so now that I've been released into the wild, my days are not as structured as I would like them to be. I get up very early. I uh, work out probably three, I'm trying to get to four days, but right now it's three days a week and I'm up at, you know, four, four, 4.30 to go to the gym um, those days that I do go. And then I'm like right into email. I'm right into solving problems and putting out fires um, pretty early on. And so it's, it's like, it's more, I feel more liberated because I can do what I want, but then I end up doing kind of a different process than I would if I had a very structured environment. So it's just, it's interesting how it's like, I have all this freedom, but now I feel like I'm doing more like toward my business than I was doing toward my job in the mornings. Yeah. That's a, that's an issue and a, not a problem, but it's an issue that I struggle with a little bit myself. Cause now I try to force myself to find structured things to work around. And then that way I can better use my time because if I have unlimited time and it's just like, oh yeah, shiny squirrel, there it goes. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's funny to let you say that because when it comes to me having, I have multiple meetings usually every day. Um, so it makes me jump to action with other stuff because I have a meeting coming up and, 
I'm like, what? It, this is so great. The structure that I'm fighting against my whole life, it's almost like I kind of still need it. And I don't know if that's a military thing or that's just a human thing that we all do need structure. But, you know, to what degree? I know you used to write things down on paper. Um, do you still do that? Or is there some way that you can actually, like, how do you manage that? Oh, I use my calendar for everything. I mean, that's taking the dogs to the groomers, remember to call, you know, the mortgage company, whatever. I use my calendar for literally everything. Um, and if it's not in the calendar, it doesn't exist. I don't really write. I need to start writing more of um, just like the personal things down. I have kind of gotten away from that compared to how I used to be, which was pretty much every day. But as far as managing my time, it's incredibly rigid. It's in the calendar. It is like I'm blocking this time off, period. This is it. Like for right now, with us doing our meeting, there's nothing else that exists. No phone. I don't care who comes to the door unless it's what are the, guys, the people that come with the checks to the door. That's the only thing that's going to get me out of this meeting is that. So I, I make sure I don't have anything overlapping. Good. So hopefully Publisher Clearinghouse doesn't show up. With the exception of that, you know, nothing else matters. <laughs> I'll be pissed. Uh, <laughs> let's let's transition to how you first, like going back to how you first got in the military. Um, you were raised in the south part of Boston, not southie for all the, the Puritans out there. Um, when you first got in the military, how did that look like? What was the mindset? Where were you at in your life? Like maybe give us an age, uh, a location where you were at, where you were at mentally. And what was the the thing that said, okay, it's time to go ahead and join the military? What did that look like? Mm, okay. So I was 19 and I graduated in 2001. So I'm off going to a community college, like in Brockton, Massachusetts. I went, I was born and raised Brockton, Massachusetts, but there was my high school years, I was in Framingham. So then when I graduated from high school in Framingham, I went back to Brockton to go to local community college. And so, you know, 9-11 happened. So my second day of college, 9-11 happened. And so that just changed a lot of things. Not me personally, because I didn't really get it, I guess. So it's not like, it just so happened to be the time that I met a recruiter. So I'm in college, go for a year, I'm working two jobs, and I, I... hindsight, I see, I see that I was falling into what most people in Brockton, Massachusetts do, which is nothing, you know, you're working and you know, it's not really a future in any of those things that I was doing. I'm in a community college getting, I think I had a liberal arts degree, no disrespect, you know, I guess a degree is a degree, but it wasn't, it was directionless. So with working these two jobs, I lost one of the jobs and my mom is like, you need to go to the unemployment office and for your, because you lost your job. I'm like, whatever that means. I don't even know what that means, really. So I'm in an unemployment office. A recruiter comes toward me. And I've told this story a couple of times, but a recruiter comes toward me. I'm trying to get in the elevator. Elevator's broken. He starts talking to me and I'm like, okay, I'm listening now. You know, And he actually had a stutter. And because he was stuttering, I didn't want to be rude and not listen to him. So literally because of that, that's how I joined the army. And everything just sounded so great. I'm like, well, that's better than what I'm doing here. I never wanted to be in the military. You know, they come to your high school and they're like, you need to, I'm like, I will never join the military. I don't care what in the world you are trying to offer. But that that day, I just kind of made a decision. Um, I've always been a very ambitious kid. I would jump and do things like and figure it out later. I was always 
you know, like a hustler, if you will, and try to sell stuff. So, you know, it wasn't unusual for me to just make a decision without asking anyone. <laughs> like, hey, I'm joining the army. And everyone's like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? And especially 9-11 had happened. I didn't even make the connection 9-11 equals war. I, I just was so, I guess, naive in that sense. So, boom, I go to MEPS. I passed everything easily. Maybe if it wasn't easy for me to pass everything, I wouldn't, you know, be here right now. Um, but it just seemed so breezy. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm joining the military. No problem. Active duty. Okay, cool. <laughs> you know, and that's that's it. That's how it started. Yeah, I didn't have the 9/11 thing to join, but I think I kind of had the same mindset before I joined. Like I'm not, I'm never joining the military. And I actually remember the first Gulf War. And a few of my friends from high school were actually there and a couple of them died there, but it, it never really, the thought never occurred to me like, Hey, I'm going to join the military. Like that was never an option for me. And then at some point it was like the same, like I'm, I'm here surrounded by people doing pretty much nothing and I just need to get out of here. So before I end up in jail or dead or whatever else. All of that house full of kids, you know, on our side, on my side. So it was just like, Oh, yeah, that works. That makes sense. Let me do it. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Literally. <laughs> yes. How does it feel now that you're retired outside of the context of the military and you've kind of, like like we discussed before we started recording, uh, really kind of put a distance between you and, and the military life that you had? What, what did it feel like after you were finally, like when you finally got your retirement paper and that said, you're out, you're good, you've done your obligation, and now you can go do your thing? How did that feel? Well, as you know, my mind was retired years ago. So, <laughs> so um, I guess to give more context for those who do understand how the, the reserves work when you are on active duty in the reserves, it's not AGR, but you're, you're mobilized locally. So I kind of, um, after I came off active duty, I got out. I got out and was in the IRR and then got back in the reserves. Didn't show up because I moved states, a whole long story that, you know, we don't need to get into. So I just was like chilling, no longer in the military, but still assigned. And I get a boom, boom. My grandmother gets a knock at the door saying I'm a deserter. So I'm like, oh, snap, I need to go back into the military. And so now I'm living in, in Atlanta. And um, I had to find a unit. So, and it's funny, I found my book the other day where I wrote down all the units and I called and I wrote, did not answer, did not answer, answered. It was so funny. It was one of those nostalgic moments. So, you know, I go back, I go into the reserves. And so then I'm having a hard time just um, like financially, you know, I had, I think at that time I had three jobs before I went back in. And so I lost, maybe I lost a job, my main job. And so now I'm having financial problems. So I get out again. <laughs> and, and then I got reeled back in. Some sergeant major that used to work with us reeled me back in and then put me on ADOS orders. So this is now it's 2008. And like my whole life is, well, 2007, really. So now I'm like, I have active duty pay again. Um, you know, at that time I, I was a single mom. So, you know, um, my life is being built back up. And so I kind of rolled that active duty um, time from 2008 until 2019. So I was way more fortunate than most. So there was a couple of deployments in there. Um, and then very, very few times was I just reserve. So I was mostly active duty. And so when I came off of the last 
active duty tour, if you will, in 2019, I had already started my business, but it was, I will never allow someone to dictate my income again. Cause I, I was making money with my business. I was already in the six figures, but you know, that first and 15th check is definitely a lot more, you know, enticing than whether or not I can live off of this business at this point. And so I, that moment was like the turning point at that moment, I retired, whatever it is I needed to do to survive, to get out off of my military service, I'm going to do, but I'm done. Fast forward COVID. (laughs) So now I'm all the way retired in my mind. So because of me coming out of active duty, my supervisors were so upset of how the whole thing played out that they wanted me to be a civilian. So I started being a civilian during COVID, which was not right because I'm not going to work. No one's in the office. So I'm not going and I'm, I'm doing the obligation. I'm, I'm committed to service, serving the way I need to serve in order to uh, appease my position. You know, I didn't want to just be a dirtbag. So um, the military thing was just kind of falling, falling further and further down. Now I'm focused on being a civilian. And I was like, maybe I'll ride this out for a while. But the business just kept growing, like just exponentially. And so... I really had already seriously retired by um, by the time it was time for me to look at the official retirement. So I was met, trying to medically retire. That was a whole long, painful process. And everyone that I knew that was medically retiring never retired, medically retired during COVID. So I kind of got I don't like to use the term screwed over because I feel like sometimes we do have control with a lot of things that we do, um, but I, I really felt in between the cracks with this one. So I did not medically retire the way that I was, the intent was. So I was able to retire under medical conditions, but not medically retire with an, a retirement once I was done. That makes sense? Usually when you medically retire, right, you're supposed to get a certain percentage and then you get your retirement right away as a reservist. But I taught, retired under medical conditions, which still had me retire as a reservist. So when that process was going on and I got my final retirement paperwork in 2022, I was like, if anyone says anything about like army, I'm, I'm going to flip. Like I'm going to lose my shit. Can I cuss? I'm going to lose my shit. Like someone's getting fucked up. I don't want to hear it ever. So then my mind switched over to being a veteran. So I took on, and I've, I've been a veteran because when you get off active duty and you serve a amount of time, you can consider yourself a veteran even if you're still in. So now, now I'm a veteran. Bump all that other stuff. I'm totally fine with loving on my veterans, talking to veterans, being a part of veteran programs, but fuck the Army stuff because they just completely threw me out. So that's the long soliloquy of how that process happened. No, that's perfect, actually. Um... I mean, I, I definitely want to dig into that because that's the premise of this and that's really good fodder and it's a good point that you bring up about that process. I would like to say the last 180 days, but maybe it was longer than that for you for that process. How did that process actually go? And what was one of the 
out of all the mishaps that happen in that process, was there a point in that process that you could point to and be like, this actually worked, this made sense, this was helpful, um, this actually got me over the hump of going mentally insane? No, I don't, I don't really think there was much in that last six month time period that was um, more good than not good, with the exception of the people I worked with. I mean, you know, a lot of those people that I worked with toward, well, throughout that whole time I worked with for years. So they just their their um, encouragement and their um, love for me, the love that we had as a family uh, was the only thing that was good because they were like, no, you can just stay working. Don't worry about it. And I'm like, no, I'm out of here. F all of y'all, not y'all, but the army. <laughs> so, you know, I, I appreciated how, how loving everyone was toward me as a person and what I was into. Um, but as far as like how the, the process worked, the mili- the medically retirement process worked and all the other stuff because of COVID, it was really just screwed up. I mean, there were people not in the office that were supposed to sign documents and all these other things that were supposed to happen when you go, it's already a challenging process when you're trying to medically retire. It is rough. Like very few people are able to do it. And so adding that extra layer just made me have like, I started having panic attacks. I'm like, I never believed in panic attacks. I'm like, they're just, you know, overreacting. I really was that person. And I started having panic attacks because this process was so stressful and it was a, a breeze. I, w- I had surgery on my back. I had surgery on my shoulder. These are things that were limiting me from continuing my military service anyway. And they're like, we don't know what you're talking about. Sign this paperwork, get out of here. And you're like, oh my God, this is what everyone else has been talking about when they're like, F the army, F the military, they screw me over. This is what everyone's been talking about. So, you know, that kind of just made me say, I am, I'm just going to, I'm going to finish what I need to finish as far as documents. I don't care if it puts me at 19 years. I don't care if it's 18 years. As long as you say that I am retired and I'm not just getting put out, I don't care what the number is. I just so happened to get to 20. (laughs) When you were going through the process, was there two things? Was there anything that you at the time made a super huge priority that really in hindsight wasn't that big of a priority? And was there anything that you might've overlooked that you were like, yeah, I don't need to worry about it. But then it actually was the big priority that you should have focused on. Mm. I probably should have made more of a priority, my civilian um, benefits. Uh, I'm not quite sure what I may have missed because this is my second rodeo with being a civilian. (laughs) Um, But I think maybe I could have capitalized on being a DOD civilian in many ways. Um, I don't even really know exactly. I did not make it a priority. I just did my job. I didn't take advantage of the benefits and all the other things. Um, and probably the thing that I I did make a priority that really shouldn't have was um, some of the like the knowledge management. <laughs> That knowledge management class and, you know, really trying to put those things together and just make the world a better place was top priority for me and you. You know, I know that you were doing you took the reins and was really, really trying to push the the envelope and push it forward. And people really didn't give a shit. 
And, you know, I always told you the army didn't deserve you, you know, seriously, because the way that your process and your mind works, they were not ready for that. None of them, no matter where they were. And so I, I kind of, you know, you're going through the process, so you don't really know what is going to pan out and what's not. But I probably should have just not went to the course. That was three weeks of pure hell in what was it, Leavenworth. Ugh, that was just absolute nonsense. And so um, hindsight just would have just dismissed the whole damn idea. That's interesting. Because, I mean, that's that's where I really it's funny that you say that that's where I really gleaned and that's why I le- leaned so hard into it. That's where I really gleaned a whole lot of process implementation and figuring out how to better improve the organization. And, and you're right. When I got back and started trying to push that stuff and everybody, it's really a hard thing to do. It's, it's basically you're trying to change culture, right? And culture is one of the most difficult things to change. I mean, it's sometimes it's, I won't say it's impossible, but it's really, really, really hard problem. And maybe that's why I leaned into it also, because I like really, really hard problems. And when I was with ARCD, you know, before that, we did that. Like it wasn't knowledge management officially, but we were, it was the the people, the culture was not bad. It just needed a change. And I was able to implement those things so easy, you know, and I just couldn't understand why it wasn't so easy with. I mean, I understand, obviously, because the people, they've been there for 100 years, they don't want to hear it, and they just wanted something to send someone to. But, you know, coming from another organization where they're like, you know what, this process is easier. Let's do that. And then slowly, you know, it's not going to be overnight, slowly everyone came around, and now everyone's happy, living happily ever after. And this other place is like, no, (laughs) you know, that was, oh, I was so done. I was so over it. Um, so, so when you got out of the military, I know you kind of, uh, disconnected. I, I think it's fair assessment, disconnected a little bit in the last couple of years. Um, but in the, the long scope of the military, like, was there anything that you left behind to your predecessor, a smart book, maybe a folder with all the, the gritty details of all the ins and outs of your job that you were doing when you left, even as a civilian? to pass on to the next person? And, and what did that look like? Oh, ab- yeah, absolutely. Um, especially when I started doing SharePoint, that's probably one of the biggest turning points. Well, even before that, I'll say, um, when I deployed the first time, deployed uh, to Kuwait, when I went to Kuwait, um, there, were, there was nothing. And I think I had just started with the understanding of how SOPs worked and stuff like that. So when I went there, there was absolutely nothing. And I just, I'm like, okay, I need to know what the hell to do. And that started me just documenting. And I know it sounds so simple, but um, that's just something that we struggle with as Army. You know, the Air Force has it down. Marines has it down. Navy probably as well. But Army just is like, every person that comes in, figure it out. But, um, and especially when it comes to a medical organization, it's really, it, it was different. So I really got into building the process, like the Barney steps, like open the book, <laughs> you know, go to page, such and such. And so I, I was able to build that um, and people still use it. It's so funny because I know they use it because I went back to the same deployment 18 months later. 
So I know they were using it. Like the book was still there. They're like, oh, this is great. You're the one that did this, you know, when I came back and stuff. So it was it was really rewarding. Like, wow, okay, all I'm doing is writing down what people need to do. What a concept. And so the same thing with um, when I came back um, as a civilian and as a, a soldier to the organization, I just did the same thing. Like not really... I guess a smart book, you can use that term, but more like as we got into more digital stuff, um, you know, the how to's of all of the processes that I use to create SharePoint, you know, a little bit of the knowledge management and um, telecommunications. And that's a lot what I did when I was in Kuwait was telecommunications. So just all the steps that would be needed, like who to talk to, what their phone number is, you know, the best way to communicate with that person, like they're more of an email person rather than a call person, all of those things. Um, and I, I take pride in that. And I do that now with my business. I'm very, very, you know, we're trying to build a university like McDonald's University. We're trying to do a foresight university where, you know, in McDonald's, they're like, button your shirt all the way down, you know, leave this much room for your bow tie. I, I am really keen on ensuring everyone has all the steps. Yeah. So that's what I was going to ask, actually, like what what kind of processes and things that you learned as you were in the military? How did what did you carry over into your into your professional business and and what kind of things still make sense and are really have like sticky concepts? I think um, several things. So as far as uh keeping up with your health. Now that I'm full business, you know, like I have, I have an executive staff, I have 22 employees, like keeping up with your health. Now that I'm around mostly business people um, and I'm older now, you know, I see so many of my peers not doing that. Um, and it's ironic because most of the ones that are not doing that have never been in the military. So it's just, you know, we, we got, I guess we got lucky just knowing how to at least somewhat stay in shape when we were in our younger years, at least. So, you know, um, taking care of your health is extremely important. And now we're really big on mental health just as a, um, a society. Um, and that is, you know, a very, very, I learned a lot more about that toward the end when I took control of what makes sense rather than being like an army robot that we were way back when we were 19, 20, 21 or whatever. Um, and so I don't know if you remember, well, I'm sure you remember, you know, my office used to be like the sanctuary, you know, where people just come and release their problems and the problems will just disseminate or, or dissipate into the air and go bye-bye. And then they're great when they leave my office. Like I thought that that was something that I I wanted to implement with myself, but it just became like a community thing. And so um, I really, I take that into my business because I'm, I'm very considerate of my employees. Um, what, what did I want? I had over 37 jobs in my life, even though I was in the military for 20 years throughout, in between, all around, before, after, I've had about 37 jobs. So what did I want when I was a you know, worked at a laundromat, worked at a hair salon, worked at, you know, a restaurant. What did I want from my employer or, or manager? So, you know, even with my soldiers, it's slightly different <laughs> when it comes to pay because most of the issues that you would have comes from pay. But just how to talk to people, how to manage, how to, you know, be stern but funny. It's like the little things 
because we can all essentially go out there and just say, hey, you do this, but how to how to navigate around personalities has been um, it's been an interesting transition. But if I I take a lot from the military uh, into that process. Another thing is uh, getting up early. It, what's ironic is for the whole 20 years, I complained about getting up early the entire time. I start my business now, I'm getting up at four o'clock. I'm like, what in hell? Like, they used to have to come and get me. When I was in Korea, they used to have to come and get me out of my room. I would just fight and complain, like I quit, like all that, all that whining. And I guess it was just because I didn't want to do it, you know? But now that I'm doing something I want to do, it's a lot easier for me to get up. But I still think it, the foundation was the military. Like, you're not going to, you're going to be okay. You're not going to pass out if you get up at four o'clock in the morning and, and taking care of your mental health and taking care of your physical health. So that's, you know, really the the key components that I think has really, really helped me, whether it's indirect or direct, um, with carrying over to my business and just having this camaraderie with other veterans. You know, I, most of my circle are business veterans. I don't have a whole lot of people outside of that, ironically. Like, most of my circle is that. Yeah, I want to actually touch on something that you mentioned before, and then it's it's come up again in, in your answer. Um, you said that you, before, you didn't believe, like, stress and and anxiety were a thing, and then you experienced it firsthand. When you were dealing with that stress and anxiety firsthand, how did you go about managing that? Because that in itself is something that's really difficult to manage. And if you haven't experienced it before and you're just experiencing it for the first time, it could be really overwhelming to to detrimental extents. Um, was there anything that you did? Any Did, did you like figure out a way to do it or did you reach out to somebody or how did how did you get through that that stress and that anxiety to add to it I dealt with a lot of stress and uh a lot of shit growing up so the military stuff was nothing to me you know it was like this is just regular stuff it to include the things that weren't supposed to happen so um when I started having these attacks and I don't want to use in quotes because it really was um, and there were only a few, but when I started having the attacks, there were other things that were being triggered. And so, um, in that process, I actually reached out to, now, you know, the VA, depending on where you are, <laughs> could be a hit or miss, depending on what doctors you have, what ailments you are trying to take care of. And at this, this one particular time, um, I, my sleep doctor, so I have narcolepsy. So I don't know if you knew that, but I, my sleep doctor is probably the only doctor that actually believes the things that I'm saying. And I'm like, I don't even come here often. Like, I don't come in here try to, with, a, with a neck brace and a cane. You know, shout out to everybody that does what they need to do. But that's that's just not been me. Like, everything <laughs> everything that I'm doing is really happening to me. Like, a doctor's not going to perform surgery on me if I'm just saying, ow, my shoulder hurts. You know, this is real, real shit. So my my sleep doctor is the only person that I felt safe enough to just say, hey, I am in this facility. I am having a full-blown panic attack. Help. So she kind of routed me to mental health. And then the firestorm started happening. And what I realized 
is I had suppressed so much stuff throughout my military career that I didn't even know was a thing. Um, and they talk about this a lot when you are, when you have childhood trauma, whatever it is, even if it's something that's on the surface is small, um, it, it sometimes lays dormant, never comes out. You live a happily ever after. Sometimes it comes out in weird ways. Sometimes it comes out in relatable ways. Mine was coming out in a weird way because I, I was over this stuff that had happened. Like I, you, I could talk about it. I could laugh about it, but because I was going through other types of stress related to the military, it was like, pew, it was like I went to the moon with the, the aggravation, stress, all those things. And this is right, right as I was retiring. So there were about like three or four very specific military things that were happening at that time that triggered some shit in the past. So then I go to the other types of counseling through, you know, the VA program, which actually was very good. I got lucky. So I know a lot of people don't have that same experience when it comes to working with the VA and mental health and all these things. And then they try, they try different things with you. Like, do you want medication? Do you want to do in-person group counseling? Do you want to do in-person one-on-one counseling? Do you want to do da 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 And I'm like, I don't want to do those things because for me personally, when I have to continuously talk about something, it doesn't, it makes me relive it. It doesn't make it better for me. So I was like, oh, but I didn't have the realization before. So now that I have the realization, like this happened, it's okay. You know, you'll live or whatever, whatever process you need to deal with it. And now it's time to move to healing, whatever that healing is. So that's kind of how it, it happened with me where didn't know I had a problem. And something else happened. Oh, shit. I need to get this fixed <laughs> before something else happens. And now, okay, I'm cool with it. I don't have the same emotion that I had when I started this process of understanding, you know, this is what happened. So I'm, I guess, two, three years removed from that, that official panic attack where I'm like, help. And I'm, I'm better, you know. So the VA really helped out with the mental health with my situation. And, you know, and I know you have a lot of listeners, so I don't want to be like coded in my, in my terms, but you know, for mine was MST, which is military sexual trauma. So that's a lot of, that's something that a lot of most women go through in the military. Let's just be frank. And so with this program, I don't know if it's only because that program um, is the way it is, the way it's structured was beneficial for me compared to someone who just, you know, someone who has PTSD only or anxiety not related to MST. They may not have the same experience. I would hope that they would have a good experience. But for the the MST program, it was really, really good in how they mapped that out and helped you get through it. Yeah. Mental health is, I mean, one side of the coin is it's it's still kind of a taboo issue. Like, I don't think people have really come to the realization. And that's why I'm glad. I'm, I thank you very much for sharing that with me. It's very personal and I appreciate it. Um, really do. Um, because I think it's super important. And, you know, I mean, I was a, uh, an MRT instructor as well. And I seriously, seriously think that there's a, there's a couple things in life that really can have that Archimedes kind of shift in your life if you if you just give them a little bit of attention. Um, and then the other side of that coin is 
it's not a one shot, one kill thing. You can't just go find a mental health professional, sit down with them, talk to them, and everything's going to be cool. Like it might not be the right mental health professional. You might have to shop around. You might have to find somebody who fits with your agenda, with your personality, with your style. Um, so it's it, it can be very off-putting because some people go and they'll go to one and they'll be like, yeah, that person sucked. And then they'll, they'll completely dismiss it, right? Um, I'm glad you brought that up. And I'm glad that they have um, – that, that's my experience as well as being – being shuffled around and and shown different ways to to kind of deal with whatever trauma, whatever issues that were going on. Um, I mean, I self enrolled, and it was because I was trying to expand my mind and figure out what was what was going on inside of my mind. Uh, so I just went one day and signed up and started going and talking, and I got lucky. I, I bumped into some good professionals along the way. Yeah, thank you for sharing that with me. That's that's it's super important. I think there's a lot of stress involved in just transitioning in general, uh, retiring specifically, but there's there's a whole bunch of crap going on. Yeah, and you know, and people always ask me like, "Oh, how did you like the army?" And I'm like, "I love the army." But then, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm like, "But I dealt with some other shit." So, it's it's one of those things where I really I'm doing better with explaining for real, for real. Not just like if you package the whole 20 years into a pretty little package with a bow on it. Yeah. Was it a good experience? Of course. Cause I would have been living in Brockton, Massachusetts with probably 10 kids, you know, 11 baby daddies, who knows? You never really know. Right. Because you just start following in this path and it's like, you look up, Oh shit. Like this, this life was not what I intended, but I, for all intents and purposes, the military has made me what I am. And so I, for that, I appreciate it. Of course, there was a whole bunch of bullshit all in between there, but there probably would have been a whole bunch of bullshit regardless, you know, in the real free world. So I have to look at it like that as well. And, you know, I don't want to blame the military for anything that's happened to me. I'm not going to say that for anyone else, but for me, I'm not going to blame the military. I'm going to just say, be while I was in the military, these things happened. So to, to shift a little bit to a <laughs> <laughs> to get out of that conversation, <laughs> a little bit to the side. Um, when you did get your retirement paperwork, and I know some people do retirement ceremonies, I certainly did not do one. Um, it's just personal preference, I think, uh, or at least that's what I like to call it. Um, when you did your retirement cer- or when you got retired, did you go out and splurge and buy yourself a gift, or did anybody else present you with any gifts along the path? No, I was like, I don't give a damn. Give me my paperwork. I was so adamant. Like the Boone, all those guys were like, no, you know, I said, please, if you do a surprise party for me, I'm not coming. Like my family tried to plan something. I'm like, no, I want this document so I can put it on LinkedIn and say that I'm retired. That's it. My husband, he got me like these balloons and the confetti and all that. That was, that was cute because it was just like, I'm sitting in the office, like slaving, like working. And he just busted in there like, and it was like, okay, that's, that was, that was good enough for me. Like with the balloons, the balloons lasted forever. I swear it was like six months that they lasted. They were still hanging up in the air. Like that's the type of sentiment I like. I don't want to, you know, it's like planning a wedding. I didn't want to have to go through planning, showing up, giving a speech. I don't, I want to be done. I want to be released. So, and I did not buy a gift either because really, you know, a lot of times people will say, 
even Christmas, like we don't celebrate Christmas necessarily. We go on vacation during Christmas. I'll buy my stuff myself something whenever. So I don't usually look at milestones or specific dates to do anything. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go buy a car today. Like that's kind of how I've been living for the last several years anyway. So nothing. And I was totally fine with that. I, I, I felt the exact same way. And I didn't really, I, I really just didn't, I'm trying to tease it out and figure it out and, and why and the, the motivations behind it. But I think it's a very intentional thing. Like if you want to have a ceremony, you will go through and let everybody know and start making the preparations and blah, blah, blah. And if you don't, you, you don't. And I don't think people really get it. So the people that want you to have the ceremony don't get that you don't want to have the ceremony. And I'm not a ceremony person. Like, I don't really celebrate my birthday. Like, I don't, it's just not my thing. And I know people, like you said, people are like, why? Like, you need to celebrate your life. I'm like, I literally celebrate my life every day. Like, I don't have to do it on my birthday. And they're looking at you like, well, you just don't have anyone to do it for you. Like, they just don't get that it's, oh, it's fine. That I'm not trying to cover anything up. That I'm not secretly sad. Totally happy, pleasant, and content with that and not self-medicating right like <laughs> no it's not that i'm i'm gucci <laughs> you know? it's not anything that they think <laughs> have you traveled space a at all or been on any space a flights as soon as you said space a it's like i totally forgot i'm not even sure how space a works i've never used it so no is the is the answer should i maybe because i travel a lot this is the way I'll explain it and maybe it'll make sense and maybe it'll be like, okay, well, I'm not going to do that shit. Um, Space A is basically like you sign up and I haven't done it as a retiree yet, I don't think. No, actually I did. I did. I flew from Ramstein back. So yeah, uh, even as a retiree, like you sign up, you get your name in the list and as a retiree, you can stay on the list a lot longer than if you're active duty. So usually you sign up active duty the at midnight when your leave form starts that's when you're on the list right uh and it depends whether you go through the army or th sorry through the air force or through the navy because navy does rotators as well they have navy planes um but you basically you sign up you get on the list they have so many seats for a specific flight and depending on what category you are so as a as a retiree or cat six i guess you're at the bottom of the list um and each each name on the list isn't necessarily a seat. It could be a name with a family of five. So that could be five seats. So you have to calculate that in there. But yeah, if you, if you give yourself the time to just experience it and to experience not being rushed to be somewhere on time, not being on some kind of deadline schedule to get somewhere and you just let it happen, um, it can be quite enjoyable. You get to meet a lot of people you get to go to weird places. You get stuck in weird places sometimes. See, that's where you and I differ. Cause I know you're like, you know, you have the, the minimalist, like, I don't want to say vagabond. Is that a mean word? Or just kind of like backpack through Europe. That that's not me. I'm very non-spontaneous. So maybe later in life, I'll be like, oh, it's no rush. I got two weeks. But yeah, that might do a little bit for my anxiety to just be like, I don't know when I'm leaving. I don't know what's going on. Ah! It's not for everybody, for sure. But thank you for explaining, because that is, you know, every now and then, you, I guess you have to do something like that. So maybe I'll do that for 2025. 
it's it's one of those if you think about it that way it's one of those moments where you just basically like let life happen and you don't try to control any of it and it's a really it's a very stoic exercise because you literally have to like release control and just go with whatever happens and be comfortable with it and happy with it so <laughs> even the people that travel space say i see sometimes they get all anxious and they, they get all worked up about it and i'm like Chill, dude. Only week. How bad can you be? <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely not there yet. We'll uh, we'll see. When you were transitioning out, and I know you already had your business established. Let's just talk about like when you first established your business, and then what did you see that roadmap becoming because you were still doing it in line with military slash civilian work? Like, how did you? How did you start your business? What kind of started that process? And then when you got to the point of, hey, I'm going to retire, I know you mentioned it, um, the, like the transition point where you were full on. And I, I also wanted to ask one other thing. Um, when you said during COVID and everything kind of shut down, and that's when you were like mentally like, I'm retiring, I'm getting out. Um, but you were still working. Do you think that helped you... Um, 2x, 3x, 10x your business because of the fact that COVID was going on? Um, did that did that help in any sort of way? Okay, so y'all answer that first. Um, yes. Um, well, because, you know, naturally I'm not, even though we some people were still going into the office sparingly during COVID, um, and at this point I'm a civilian. So, yeah, it, it helped for me to bid, build my business because, I'm not interrupted 25 times a day. Um, yeah, I would say definitely it helped because my business grew during COVID, um, unlike most people, because, you know, we were in janitorial. So it grew exponentially just because of COVID. But then the added layer of not having to go into the office made me a lot more available to do other things. So definitely uh, it helped with that. And so... Um, when I first started the business, I was doing real estate at first. And so I kind of started real estate in 2014. And, um, you know, as I was like down the rabbit hole of death of everything real estate, I was like, oh, I need to develop this company to do my real estate investments. And so um, that's where the, my first business name came in. So I thought I was going to do real estate. I had partnerships with um, other veterans where we bought um, a facility, uh, not a facility, we bought a house, a boarding house, and that went all the way to hell. But, you know, I was deep in real estate. And so when I was still doing, or after that went to hell, and then I was like, I can't be a landlord. I'm a little too volatile. It's, it's over with. I sold my houses. I still had this company that was like real estate-ish. And then the government contracting conversation kept coming up in, in random conversations. And so I'm like, what is this? You know, I already have my company. I want to kind of stay in real estate, maybe. And so it just translated into facility support services or facility maintenance, whatever you want to call. And I already had the contractors doing like renovation type stuff because I was doing real estate. And so then I just dove into government contracting, the YouTube university, figuring out what this actually looks like. And so I, you know, I took it, I took my time Whereas before I would just dive, I dive in and don't even know what the hell I'm doing. And so I took my time, I studied, I went to classes, I went to programs, boot camps, all these things to learn about government contracting, 
And then, you know, bidding on my first contract, I won. And I'm like, oh, snap, like, this is this is it. Like, I am sold, 100% sold. And so bid on my next few, and I was winning. And so now, as the money's coming in, you know, I'm just trying to manage both. I'm trying to manage, um, before I even became a civilian, I was still, you know, working full-time as a soldier, like, hardcore, working on my business while I was at Leavenworth doing knowledge management, which was like, I almost lost it. Like, I had to call, you know, I was really, really, it was very stressful. <laughs> My husband's like, it's okay. You're going to be all right. So, you know, I was really doing both full time. And so a, a lot of people will look at it like, well, you're working a full time job and then you got your side hustle. I'm like, no, boo boo. This is not a side hustle. Uh, this shit is full time. So I get off of work and I got another eight hours to dedicate to this business. You know, like I said, I was already making six figures. And so then I started getting employees and it was just, it just, it, it grew legs. And so, um, you know, as you're, as you're trying to decide whether you're going to quit your job and go full force with your business where you don't have that cushion, they always say, like all the people that I talked to that went through the same process, they say, you know, when it's time, because I was like, I don't want to let my, you know, I got the easiest job in the world. They respect me. My stuff is just, it's, I've been doing it for years. It's breezy. And I got to a point where it didn't matter how easy it was. I had to go. I couldn't, like literally our supervisor was like, no, you're not quitting. Just give it some more time. I'm like, I had to go around him to tell the HR that I was, that I was resigning. It was that bad. He would not let me go. Um, <laughs> ironically, I don't know why. It wasn't like, I, I don't think I was contributing that much for that type of sentiment, but regardless, um, I had to go. It didn't matter what they said. If they said you only got to work one hour a week, I still was going to resign. It was that deep. So I really, after the business started growing legs and I was fully committed, I really, um, I had to move in and I knew it was going to work. I wasn't afraid to just rely solely on the business. I was, I was ready. In any part of that, the business journey, the military career, the the life outside of the military and outside of business, were there any failure points or one specific failure point that you can point to that maybe then turned into a success or an, oh yeah, that was why that happened because now I'm reaping the benefits of this failure. Anything like that that you can think of? You said military or business? <laughs> Any, anything. It's like if you hit a failure point and then like five years later, it turned into a, a blessing. I have a million of those. Um, well, I guess Lou using the military for one, um, probably we never know what the, the path would have been, but coming off of active duty and ending up in Atlanta, um, I think was probably a great situation. I don't know where I would have been if I stayed active duty, for example. Um, who, who, who knows what the situation would have been? So that's, it was, a, it was a failure because I got, I chapped it out. You know, I didn't even do my full, four, I didn't even do my full, yeah, my four years. Um, so that was definitely a moment, you know, like I'm, I'm in it. And you know, that those first, two years of your military service, you've just done so much. And so it was, it was an accomplishment. I was the only person in my family that had ever been in the military. So 
it was painful when I thought it was going to be a, a specific situation with my, you know, that then husband, ex-husband, and, and it ended up not being that. And so I'm like, oh, snap. So going into the reserves and then migrating my way to Atlanta, I, I probably should have been here anyway. And the path was just a very, very rocky, <laughs> rocky path, but I'm glad I'm here. And I was able to even, you know, ride out my military career locally. You know, I went to Augusta, I had a unit in South Carolina. I, I went, but I was in the came coming back to Atlanta, you know, and I, I guess that's probably one of the biggest things. Like when I was pregnant with my daughter, I was active duty. I was stationed at Fort Bliss, Texas, which is one of the worst places. They used to call it the asshole of the U.S. <laughs> I didn't say that. Other people said that. So when I was there, this is before they changed the maternity leave to like, what, three or four months. So literally they told me we have a constant rotation in Iraq. It was an MP unit. Um, Constant rotation to Iraq. As soon as you have your baby, six weeks later, you're going to Iraq. That's what they told me straight up. And so I wasn't dodging that, but I'm like, damn, I'm a new mom. Like, holy shit. I'm new to this unit. I'm new to this state. I have no support. Like, so you want me to drop this baby, leave her with my ex, then husband, leave her with this dude, and then go to Iraq for a year or more? I think they were going at 15 months at that point. I'm like, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. Not that I don't want to go to Iraq, but shit, I got a new baby. I can't do it. So boom, I'm out. And so, you know, it, it was a rough thing to realize that, you know, I came in my, for my career for me, not for, I didn't join with anyone else. And to have to make that move, you know, was, was painful at first. So, you know, but I guess it turned into a blessing. <laughs> A whole almost 18 years later. My daughter will be 18 in March. I can't believe it. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> Throw that in there. <laughs> yeah, my, my daughter is actually going to be 18 in, uh, on her birthday this year. She's not ready. I'm not ready. It's like, oh, my God. Just don't get her any gifts. Don't throw her a party. Everything will be cool. Hey, right. No, she, she's with the shits. She wants all the parties. She wants the photo shoot. She wants business. I'm like, girl, she's, I live vicariously through her, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> And all your experiences, because it sounds like you've transitioned multiple times out of the military. Um, in all of those experiences, if you could like culminate them all together and and pick out the most important part of the transition process, is there anything that sticks out in your mind that's like maybe maybe now after the third time transitioning, like I understand that this is the most important thing that I should pay attention to. Like, is there anything that you would say is really important to pay attention to in the transition process? Yes. And um, if you don't mind, I want to add a few other people's stories into that. Um, you know, with, we went through ACAP. I went through ACAP when I got out the first time. And that was called like, I forgot what it's called, Soldier, Citizen, something, whatever it's called. Um, <laughs> they, they're trying to do a better job with transitioning service members, whether they were retiring or whether they were, you know, got out after a couple of years. So but they still do a pretty terrible job. And the first time I got out, I really, the only thing I really remember is they taught me how to get um, an email address. I mean, this is back in 2005 or six. So people didn't really have email addresses like that. You know, that was like one of the main things that they taught you how to do, how to do a resume, but they didn't really give you options of what you can actually do. 
um, one of the main features of being a service disabled veteran is that you can go into government contracting. Uh, they didn't talk a lot about business. I think there was one guy that maybe mentioned something about having your own business, but they didn't. Everything was about go get this good civilian government job. And that's basically it. And you saw it firsthand, especially if you were a reservist, you saw a lot of civilians that were, you know, uh, service members and civilians at work. And you saw it firsthand. It, it made the connection when you went through ACAP or whatever. And so you're like, oh, that makes sense. So you're not even exploring anything else. They're not really telling you this is what you should do. One of my, um, actually my COO, he's retired active duty. And he's never, ever thought about having a business in his life. He got out. He had a doctorate, okay? PhD. Got out and was like, going to get this job. You know, I got my, he was a CW4 in intelligence, doctorate. I'm going to go out and get this good job. He could not find a job anywhere. And he's in D.C. And he said that he went, he's at the job fair, and there was one lonely table of this, um, I think there was like IT training company. They didn't have a banner. There was just two guys, two dudes sitting there with some pens and a, and a sign-in sheet. And that was the last place he went. And he said he was so exhausted after going to all the tables at the job fair. He's like, look, here's my resume. Like, y'all motherfuckers hiring or not? Like, that type of sentiment. And that's where he ended up. So when you're going through your transition, you're like, it needs to be this way, this way, this way. I've done all the things. I've done everything the military said I need to do to transition out. It's going to work. But it doesn't always work. So how do you have the fortitude to bounce back, bounce forward, you know, a shift left, shift right. You don't have that ability necessarily unless you just something clicks. And he, when he explained that whole process is, of course, it was a lot longer story than that. But when he explained that process to me, I'm like, you really came in active duty, 17 and a half years old. Only thing you've ever, only job you've ever had besides, you know, something when you were a teenager did all the things. And then you can't find a job that's got to do something to your psyche, whereas me, I'm a reservist, you know, I'm in and out. Like, I've been out twice. I was on the economy. I had a um, regular civilian job, nothing to do with the military. I'm, I'm all over. So, and it was still a little bit tricky for me, but I couldn't imagine being just straight active duty, never done anything else, and then they telling you all these things, and then that shit ain't happening. So I think as a transition and service member, you really need to understand all the options. Go outside of ACAP, you know, talk to people and then know where you can move. Like you need to kind of build that before you even think about transitioning. Really, maybe your last five years or more, you need to kind of figure out what do I actually want to do after this? It may not be anything to do with what you're doing now. Obviously, I'm a damn warrant officer, IT, and I'm not, I'm doing facility. I'm doing scrubbing toilets. And doing landscaping and doing drywall, which is nothing to do with IT, you know? So you got to kind of figure out what it is that you, what your niche is going to be, whether it's job, government job, civilian job, business. Are there some resources besides the, of course, your own, your own resources, anything outside of that, that you would point people to? Is there like a book that you read that kind of changed your perspective? Was there a website that you visited? Anything like that? I mean, I was a... I've kind of slowed down on my reading too, but definitely a lot of self-help books. I think um, like The Power of Now, um, The Secret, 
um, uh, e-myth. E-myth is more like when you already have some kind of structure, but it can at least get the the thoughts going in your mind. Um, anything to do with self-help and, and uh, transitioning, because they have just other type of transitioning books that are considered self-help. Uh, I would definitely say if you're a reader, then check some of those books out uh, and and look for other books that are related. And then they have a lot of better, if you do want to do business, they have a lot, well, both. Um, ACP was a mentor pro, a mentor program that um, is free and they get you a mentor to go into whatever it is you're trying to go to a new career. Um, my mentor, she's absolutely I don't think she does it anymore, but she was amazing. And she was helping me with my business, obviously. But her other mentee, he was like, same thing, like a, a EA, damn, in intelligence. And he wanted to open up an amusement park, like something totally left. And she helped him navigate through that path. So sometimes just to having that one ACAP or those few classes that they give you your last year of military service is not enough. You need someone to say, no, you know, take this step forward, make a left, make a right, like the exact steps. So ACP was one. Um, if you want to do business, they have, um, especially government contract, and they have VIP, which is Veterans Institute for Procurement and um, free again. And it's in DC. And they, you know, if you have a business or want to start a business, then they help you through all the government contracting processes. And it's, you know, free for veterans. They have IVMF, which is my fave IVMF is um, Institute for Veterans and Military Families. It's through Syracuse University, and they have a bunch of programs under their um, their veteran program. So you can go to one of them with an idea, or if you're already in business, they can help you scale, on and on we go. So those are, even if you're like, I want to go to these programs to see if I want to do business, and you're like, hell no, this ain't for me. Let me go back to something else where I can go, you know, get a job. Then that's that's righteous as well. Yeah, you bring up a really good point about going in at like 17 or 18, doing nothing but military your whole life, active duty, and then getting out and then expecting the job. And I think a lot of people kind of, I say a lot of people, but I think people who do get those jobs actually set those jobs up for themselves because you find that they... They take the military hat off one day and then the next day they come into the office with a shirt and a tie and in the civilian position doing the same exact thing. Um, I, I've had the same experience with with job hunting. Like I've, I was on, I've been on USA Jobs for forever and especially the last two years before getting out and I was applying, 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 applying. <clears throat> I think it's just that black box that I haven't unraveled, unpacked, haven't figured it out yet. And maybe it's not. Maybe it's just who you know and who you interact with and who's got the positions. and um, But yeah, I've applied for hundreds of jobs on USA Jobs and haven't hit one. And I'm applying for not just IT stuff. I'm applying for like supply management positions and procurement positions and like, uh, you know, the the director of the, the, the child youth services, like things like that, like just different stuff, tailoring my resume, changing my resume, and it just doesn't it doesn't hit for whatever reason. And I think it just, maybe I just don't understand how USA jobs works or how, how civilian positions work. You're not alone. I hear, I mean, even when I came back from Kuwait, you couldn't tell me I was not going to be like, I was going to be working at Dell, all these places, you know, and I only got in with Accenture 
because of an employee, a person I used to work with, wife worked there. That was it. I had applied, and I didn't even know I had already applied for Accenture. So when I went to apply, it was like, oh, your password has expired. You, I was like, I applied for this thing like years ago, like a long time ago. I didn't even remember, but because I knew someone, that's the only reason why I got it, got into it. So like you said, it's, I think it's a lot about who you know. Every now and then you can slide in, but it's just so unfortunate that I don't know if it's just, it can't just be military, but it seems like there's certain things that are associated with that. Um, and to your point about, you know, maybe we don't know how USA Jobs works, but I know a lot of times they put stuff on there when they already have somebody and they just have to post it. So maybe that is about 90% of the positions. So, you know, that's why they need to do a better job of helping transition and service members long before they get out because they did extend it to like, what, two years instead of I think it was 90 days or something crazy when I was getting out the first time. Um, but giving them a lot more options and not making it fast, like making sure that that service member is ready. Like, okay, boom, not just a resume, but I know exactly what I want to do because it's been two years in this thing, you know? Yeah. Well, that and a lot of people don't take the two years, right? A lot of people wait till the last 180 days. That's why I say 180 days because that's crunch time, right? That's You've got six months, give or take, right? Some people take at 90 days. And the people that don't think about it until that last 180 or 90 days, then they're really in, in move mode. Cause you got to do, not only you have to do all the, the soldier for life stuff and you have to do all your, your transition paperwork and your finance and your turning in your TA 50 and all that stuff you have to do like really, really fast. And it's not a fast process, especially when it was COVID. Um, but even now it's not COVID and it's still like when I transitioned out, it, COVID was still going on, but it wasn't really like. You didn't have to have a mask on, like, you know what I'm saying? So, so it needs to be mandatory. You know, there needs to be some, some of really official process. Like if that means extended for six months after your job is done, like you're only focused on that. I don't know what the perfect formula is, but I know the current formula is really not working. I mean, some people just figure it out. You know, we're lucky enough to have the fortitude to say, I'm going to figure this shit out because I, I, I kind of don't have a choice. But then you have some people who just they end up getting on drugs and drinking and their their whole now they've lost a sense of uh, what's it called? Uh, uh, relevance. And although, you know, and then, then you get into the mental health and if they just had a plan before they left, that would probably cut out half of those who are going to have issues when they actually get out. That's why I always say that I'm more fortunate than most because I was I was in and out of the military a lot. I'll have three years, hardcore military, and then like six months out, just not even a reservist, but just like out and then come back. And so I was able to be a regular person throughout my whole career. One of my other guests had brought it up that we do, like when you in process to a place, when you PCS or in process to a place, at least on active duty, right? they have a sponsor and the sponsor walks you through everything and gets you to where you need to go and helps you set up your housing and et cetera, et cetera. She's like, but they don't have a sponsor when you retire or when you transition out, there's no such thing. And it would be really helpful. Yeah. You get the paperwork and you sign out and they give you your 214 and they're like, okay, cool. See you. And then that, that's it. <laughs> yeah. And it's, you know, and it should be that same, like you're locked in until you have an official plan. Like you, have to show me 
what your plan is. If you make it up, that's on you. But at least they know that you have something, you've been thinking about something before you are just hitting the streets, essentially. You know, especially, I don't know, some reservists, some reservists already have careers, you know, but then like there's a lot, we've seen a lot of soldiers come and go, right? Where they get caught up in the, the cyclone of hell and then they can't sustain because they not they're not making enough money, but then they're still obligated to the reserves, and so then they're in between this like I know I have to do this, but then I have to earn money too, so I can't come. And now I've effed up my military career, and and it just goes on and on. I was that I was that gal, you know what I mean? Like I have real life shit going on. I don't have time to come to the to drill. So you know, even more so for reservists, there needs to be a better plan in place. I've seen so many soldiers just fall to the wayside because they came from active duty or whatever. And they're like, this in Atlanta, especially, this is a very, it can swallow you up and you just, it's over. Now you have a bad situation compared to if you never came in at all, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people probably don't actually know too, that you can start the, the SFL tap process two years out. Like that's not a, a thing that people put out there as information. And again, if you do know about it and you take your time and drag your feet and wait to the last minute, like that's, that's the other thing. And the, the, the third thing I would say is setting the boundaries with your work and with your boss and with your coworkers, like this is my time that I'm going to use. And if you don't do that and you don't draw those lines, then it's left to interpretation. And you know what the interpretation is like, you need to be here at work. You need to be at your desk. You need Yep. That's very true. Yeah. And that's unfortunate. Like I said, like, how do you fix that? Maybe keeping them on for an additional time after, because I mean, you can't really control the work as much because some of the stuff probably really is important. Um, but it's just a broken system. So I, I just try to share as much as I can, um, to help to give people another option. I get a lot of people reaching out to me that are on active duty and they're like, I'm going to be transitioning in the next three years. I'm interested in this government contracting thing. And I'm like, oh yeah, you're doing the right things. You know, you're reaching out way in advance so you can get it at least in your mind. I think I want to do this. And then you have time to say, hell no, I'm not doing that. And you move on to something else, you know? Let me ask a couple more quick questions. And then actually I would like to dig into to what you're doing um, with your with your organization helping veterans out and, and regular people as well. Um, two, two ways we can take that. Actually, let's just do both. Um, if you could go back and meet up with your 16 year old self, uh, of course, leaving out anything about, you know, investment advice or anything like that, and just have like a 30 minute chat, where would you be meeting your 16 year old self? Like what would be the context of the location, the time and place, and what would you talk about? Ooh, I've never been asked that question. Um, 16, that was a very interesting year for me. So I would be, you know, a high schooler in Framingham, Massachusetts, Framingham High. And um, I was going through a lot of personal changes at that time, many personal changes for the better. And so I would, I don't even really know um, what... I don't know what I really wanted to, I don't remember what I really wanted to do. I just knew I needed to do something, something more than what was being shown to me anywhere. 
And so I might say to myself, um, start building your confidence, maybe, um, because with confidence comes more things. You can do a lot of stuff without confidence, but you can do way more with confidence. So I would say build that up personally, Sheena. And, you know, I was not afraid to do a lot of different stuff within the parameters of being, you know, of my limited self-confidence. Um, but I probably would say, don't be afraid to do more. And as a 16 year old, you know, my, I got a seven, uh, almost 18 year old and a 15 year old, um, that are way more mature than I was, even though I was extremely mature. Um, I feel like I might tell my 16 year old self to just do more of what I loved, like as far as business wise, I don't know if that would have calculated properly because <laughs> I'm looking at my kids like, you guys got it all figured out. As far as business, their mind is just a lot different. So if if I could take that now, Sheena, and, and instill that, that fortitude into the 16 year old, I would say just, you know, start saving your money, like start learning about financial literacy, get some financial literacy, because that, that was null, like for a long time. I'm talking in the army, too. It was just like, oh, my God, I have no understanding of money. So those things and, you know, building the self-confidence, however that would have looked, um, really, that's that's all I can really think that may have helped during that time. Yeah, it's it's hard, and I and I picked that time because it's one of those transitional points in life. It, at least from my perspective, it it seems like that time where you're on the borderline of you know you're still a kid, but you're also transitioning into adulthood, and you're starting to think more long term at that age, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, somewhere around there. Plus, you're very very much influenced by teachers, parents, uh, the people around you, so that really kind of shapes who you start to become after past that point so absolutely yeah that like i said i was changed a lot of things had already changed so um yeah definitely moving forward i was better than 15 and under <laughs> for sure if you got the opportunity to and maybe you have uh, already or maybe it's something on the roadmap in the future if you get the opportunity to sit down with a group of transitioning members in the military, so maybe like an SFL tap talk, like you come in for 20 minutes or 30 minutes, I like to say 20 minutes, but um, what would you tell them? And, you know, what, like, what would the thesis of that talk be for those transitioning members? It probably would be similar to what I mentioned before, like explore your options don't just stick to, in your mind, don't just stick to what you have already been doing. Um, and I'm sorry, I just like to start spinning. Um, don't just stick to what you were doing in the military and don't be afraid to try something else. One thing that I really, I talk to a lot of veterans, you know, whether it's one-on-one -on -one and I do some panels and stuff here and there, YouTube, all that stuff. And you know, they're just, they're not going to say they're afraid because a lot of them have been through a lot in the military, but this is starting your own business, especially going to a whole new career is terrifying for them. And they, but they can rest on I'm retiring or I'm getting out and I'm getting hundred percent VA disability. So they have a lot to lean on compared to the free world. So they're less likely, it seems 
to make a jump and do certain things because they have that uh, a tremendous amount of cushion, especially if they retired and they get 100% VA disability. We're talking several thousand dollars a month. You can really do well. Um, so they just can't conceptualize doing something different because their whole, uh, the molding points of their life was spent in the military. So I would say to them is just try, try new things. That's really it. Try new things just to see, even if it's just trying something for a day, um, reading a book that's different than what you were doing in your military career. Um, you know, I travel leisurely, <laughs> you know, most of our travel was like by force. So it's like travel leisurely and experience different things, um, outside of what you normally were doing. And us, military people are so damn structured like I, <laughs> even me but you know I do get outside of myself in order to um break down some of those rigid walls but those who are even way more rigid than me just experience different things and just don't take yourself so seriously I know you were a colonel I know you were CW5 I know you were E9 because they made sure they let you know when they retired they let you know they were E9 that's like the main <laughs> just look nobody gives a shit about your rank i'm sorry like out here in the free world it's cute you can mention it to another service member they're like oh okay but no one cares so get outside of that and try to build the new you because it's a new you it's not the old you unless you stay a dod civilian or you know gs or something nobody gives a shit about what you used to be it's nice it looks good on linkedin but nobody cares. And most people don't understand, no matter how many times you explain it to them. So just don't take yourself so seriously and try new things. Yeah. On that same note, um, how do you feel about personal brand? And if you were to let somebody give somebody some tips on how to build a personal brand, what direction would you point them in? Um, I struggle with branding. My, I have a branding manager, also a veteran. Um, she's Air Force, but you know, we still invite her to the party. So she is really big on helping me understand branding just in general. So, cause I'm like, I'm just me. I ain't got time to be keeping consistent with these colors and all that stuff, but I would point them in, um, just the direction of staying their authentic self. I think branding has a lot to do with authenticity now compared to before, especially at the COVID because people don't want to look at all that stuff that's dressed up, but they do want to see consistency. And, you know, it goes with looking at, you ever do that logo quiz uh, game on your phone or whatever. It's like you, when they see you or when they see that brand, they see that color, what do they think of? So if you're talking about really, really, um, developing a brand for real, for real, then you need to be consistent, whether it's colors, theme. When I know I go to Sheena's IG, I'm going to be laughing or I'm going to like learn something that other people are not teaching. And, you know, Sheena's going to come on that camera with no makeup and be like, hey, you know, whatever it is that's your authentic self, you know, keep that energy going and keep the consistency, you know, like that. We can pick up on bullshit a lot easier than we used to. I was just watching the um the documentary about Madoff, and I knew I, I watched the movie. I'm familiar with the story. Um, and it's like, yo, the <laughs> he was consistent. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, homie was consistent. And so it's like when I think of investments, I 
it, it, back then, think of Madoff. Like when they think of you, what do they think of? We can pick up on that authenticity. He would have never been able to get, he would have never been able to get with, through with what he did before because now people are super skeptical. They're like, ah, that don't sound right. Like it doesn't seem like it's jiving. You know, they're not just taking your word for it anymore. They're going to peel back that curtain and see, you know, the Wizard of Oz or whatever. So it's, it's, branding is staying true to you and being super consistent. And, and transparency, right? I mean, that's one of the things that I was harping on for a couple of years when we were doing the knowledge management stuff was really like, and it's, and it's the reason why I do this show. It's because I want to bring some transparency to this, the topic of retirement and transition that there's not as much transparency. It's what you said, right? So uh, the process is there. It works. It's not exactly perfect. It's a little bit broken in some, some aspects of it. And I think transparency would kind of bring more light to what's important, not only for the audience, but for also the people who are doing the transitioning stuff, like the transitioning workers, um, so that they can understand, you know, a better perspective of, of what actually works and what actually doesn't work. And people appreciate that now. You know, there's some a lot of brands that have made some serious mistakes, huge brands that we, you know, Dove and all these other companies, and they're like, hey, we effed up bad, and we're sorry. You know, some of it, some of them don't. They don't care. But, you know, people appreciate like, well, you better apologize, you know, <laughs> and they, they move on. And so the transparency of knowing that, we messed up or this didn't go right. I think that's where I kind of have been doing good with my YouTube channel because they're like, you know, people are saying, all you got to do is get the contract, throw somebody on the contract, do the invoice, live happily ever after. And they're like, Sheena, you're, the, you're like one of the only people that are saying, look, <laughs> you can get canceled. This can happen. This can happen. But you can still do it, but just know what the risks, risks are. So I'm... I really don't know how to be any other way is except for just like that. This is what it is. Whether you accept it or not is on you, whether you talk shit in the DMS or whatever is, it doesn't matter. Cause I know that's the only thing that's existing is the truth, you know? So with that, let me, um, cause I want to be respectful of your time and I know we're getting close on time. Um, let's talk about GovCon now. Like what, what exactly can people expect? It, it's a, that when they go to the website or to the link or whatever, like uh, first impressions and what kind of people should be reaching out and checking that out. Yeah. So um, the name has changed. So if anybody sees GovCon for winners, it's now GovCon now. So it's GovCon for winners, not GovCon winners. GovCon for winners is the previous name. GovCon now is the current name. There's a whole long story with that. But um, basically, uh, when I started doing government contracting, of course, it wasn't as popular as it is now. Um, it's more boutique. <laughs> You'll see it everywhere now. And I did an interview in 2020 on a YouTube channel. And um, from that interview, it went like the video went kind of semi-viral, several thousand. And so people were reaching out and they're like, oh, my God, I need help. Blah blah blah. And so I was just talking to people. I really enjoyed helping people in that um you know, in that, and I was spending so much time talking to individual people. And we all know that time is our greatest asset. And so I was just doing it for free. And everyone's like, are you crazy? Like, you got to start charging. And I'm like, I don't want to charge, you know, but eventually after two years of doing that, I started doing consultations. And so 
Um, in the consultations, you know, super, I was super cheap. Oh my God. It's almost like embarrassing, but I, I know what, where my mind was, you know, I wasn't interested in doing a course. I wasn't interested in doing all that. I'm like, there's already courses out there, but people just kept coming to me. And so they were like, I got so much value after they talked to me that I kind of got bullied into doing a course. And so, you know, I want to be able to reach the masses. And the only way to reach the masses is to have something that multiple people can go into at once. And so when I developed the course, I'm like, okay, well, what did I really need help with? I I had a business, but like I said, I changed the name. Um, So that was something that a lot of people don't really talk about. Like, what, what should your name be? And why is that important when you're doing federal contracting? If you got, you know... I was going to say something really inappropriate, but if you got an inappropriate name for your business or a name that's like where people will raise their eyebrow, then you probably shouldn't use that name going into government contracting. I mean, you just don't know if you're being discriminated against, in other words. So I go through that process in the course where it's, hey, even if you have a business, fine, you can skip that part. You can get some of the details that I have um, outlined as far as corporate sounded name, lawyers. Uh, Duns, Duns, you don't really need a Duns to do federal contract anymore, but it's good to have because of building business credit, blah, 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 blah. And then I go into federal contracting where I'm explaining what it is, um, how you register, the best way to bid, the best RFPs to use, how to communicate with contracting officers. And I also have RFPs examples in the course, which I couldn't find anywhere when I was starting this process, I'm like, no one has an RFP example. No one. So I, I felt like that was extremely important to have in my course because I know that's what I needed. So then I'm like, well, I've been doing local contracting. That's where I started, you know, municipalities, uh, state, city, county contracting, which people don't even really consider to be contracting a lot of times. Um, you can register as a vendor and not bid and they'll just call you and say, hey, can you come up here and give us a uh, price quote the same way they would if you were doing commercial. But there's also bidding processes with the state. And so there's different parameters with that, whether it's documentation, filling out and uh, or connecting with the contracting officers there too, because sometimes they do sole sourcing type thing where you'll have the contract forever because you're the only one that can provide widget ABC, you know. Um, and then I was, when COVID happened, of course, I wasn't doing a lot of in-person site visits because with facilities, a lot of the site visits are in-person. So because of that, I'm like, okay, what can I really maximize? And so I got into corporate contracting and I was going to all these industry days and connecting and figuring out how that process works, which is it's government contracting, but not the same process. And so if you think about AT&T, Boeing, Coca-Cola, all these companies have what's supply diversity um, agenda, and then they also just have suppliers that they use. So corporate contracting was was uh, something that I held near and dear because you really got to work hard to get into those circles. Some of these companies, believe it or not, are, are private owned, large, huge companies that are privately owned. So they have to like you <laughs> to give you their cleaning contract for their whole you know warehouse in Louisiana. So, you know, I was building those connections. I'm like, well, I'm sure most people don't know how this process works, how to get certified um, through some of the organizations, whether it's paid, whether it's free. So I talk about corporate contracting. And of course, since I'm a veteran, I wanted to include some of the courses that I've taken, some of the programs that I've used, some of the free, like a lot of people didn't know, most states 
or nearly every state gives um, service-disabled veterans a free business license. There were some people that were, you know, had been paying for a business license for 20 years. And they're like, oh, I never knew that, Sheena. Oh, my God. You, like, saved me. So, you know, I'm like, wow, these are things that a lot of my veteran business friends have no idea about. Let me include all the things that I know about veteran business whatever. So that's the course. GovCon now. <laughs> Long soliloquy. Do you have? Do you happen to have a um, like uh, a private community of all the people who have joined and and been involved in that course, and they kind of stay connected and and stay in contact with each other? I am. Uh, yeah, I'm building that now. We did have a Facebook group, but Facebook had. Let me not say. My daughter said, "Don't say it out loud because you know you'll get. They'll cancel you, and you won't even know you're canceled. You're like pick up your phone, and the whole thing is deleted and everything." <laughs> So we had a Facebook group, but we're moving to a new platform called Circle. And so that's going to do exactly that, where the I, right now I have 20, um, 20 students. I started September 1st. So that's like a huge accomplishment to be able to have that many students buying into the program, um, loving the program, giving the feedback. But now we're going to open up, uh, since the other one didn't work, open up the Circle platform so they can do exactly that, talk with each other. Um, you know, ask advice. I I don't mind sharing. I just want people to do this. If they say they want to do a government contract, I just want them to take advantage of it. I don't care. I'll give you all my secrets. It doesn't matter because it's trillions of dollars that the government is spending. And then that's just federal, you know, not even local, not even corporate. So, you know, I, I want that. I'm welcoming that. So we're going to have roll that out within the next 30 days. I actually talked to my my course manager yesterday about several things. And that was definitely on the agenda. I know, I know because we tried a few other routes and didn't work. So I have to make it make sense. I, I told, trust me, I understand because you know, I'm, I've been cheap. So I'm like, I have to make this work the way I want it to work without all these parameters and, and restrictions. Let me just ask you, um, are there anything, is there anything that we haven't discussed yet? Any topics, any, anything that we dug into that maybe you want to touch on a little bit more, anything in general at all that you would want to put out to the audience that maybe we haven't talked about? I think we did cover, I guess, in some form of fashion, everything, um, just, just reiterating to transitioning service members, um, and, and veterans who, um, when I started getting into this, business veteran world, um, there's a lot of people who never really identified as a veteran. And I'm like, what? You know, because it was beating to my head to ensure that, you know, you go to the VA, you do all these things, especially after, um, you know, the uh, Afghanistan, Iraq war, that that was just a part of the process, like pretty much everybody did. But then there's some people who just, they never got deployed, they never whatever, and they're just kind of like ashamed of their military service. Um, and so I would just still encourage those people to take advantage of whatever it is. And okay, let me just say this <laughs> carefully, not that you need to go in there with a neck brace and a cane, but, you know, take advantage of whatever military service that you had. Even if you're like, I don't want to get any monies or benefits from the VA. Um, there's other things that you can get from, you know, being a veteran period, and I think that if you served any amount of time in the military, I think it's still important to utilize whatever services are available to you. You put, you raised your hand. You at least went through 
uh, uh, boot camp, you at least did something to service your country. So I feel like you should take advantage of whatever it is within the parameters that you feel you deserve, so to speak. But especially those who were in for a long period of time, a lot of them really don't want to associate with. Um, it's cute over here. You know, it's cool over here. We got hot wings on the veteran side. You know, like, come over here and be a part of this community. You'll be surprised at how, ma- how many relationships you can really build, even if it's nothing to do with business and it's just personal. You know, we out here. Come hang with us. <laughs> so if anybody wanted to come find you, uh, dig into more of who Sheena is or reach out to you, where would you point them to online? Okay, so I'm I guess I'm pretty much on everything. I'm on LinkedIn, Sheena Parker. Um, I'm on YouTube, Sheena Preneur. That's S-H-E-E-N-A-P-R-E-N-E-U-R. I'm Sheena Preneur on IG. Um, YouTube, IG, uh, LinkedIn, and then Sheena Sheenapreneur.com is where you will find the GovCon Now course. Okay. Perfect. And as always, um, all the stuff that we've talked about will all be down in the show notes and also um, trying to get into the habit of timestamping these these episodes so you don't have to necessarily like watch through the whole thing. You can click around and get to different parts of the episode that you want to see. So be sure to look down there for timestamps as well. Sheena, it's been amazing. Um, I'm really glad to see you again. It's really, really good to see you and catch up with you. Yes, likewise, always. thank you very much for your time thank you for being a part and to everybody else out in the audience thank you for listening and watching and we will see you anywhere you listen to or hear or watch podcasts spotify apple etc etc thank you very much and have a great one everyone and i'll see you again on the next episode